UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And once again, a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. If you've ever listened to Israel Houghton's I Am a Friend of God, you'll know that he starts the sort of preamble to it by quoting a verse from the Bible. It is from the book of John, chapter 15, where Jesus speaks to those who would follow him and says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. In the video that goes with I am a friend of God, he follows it up with James chapter 2, where it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Israel then says this, I thank God that he calls us his friends in spite of all that we have done. And that is an incredible thought, isn't it? That almighty God, the supreme being, the intelligence and creative force behind the cosmos, the king of kings and lord of lords, should deign to call me friend? But what does that mean? What does it mean for my everyday life? What does that mean for the dynamic of my relationship with him? Where does respect and his greatness sit in that if my friends are actually me mates? How do we find the experience of friendship with God in a real way? And what are our responsibilities if he calls us friend? This week, that is our topic Is it really possible to be a friend of God? And what's the difference between God loving us and calling us friend? Ian Galloway is the director of the Free Church Track at Cranmer Hall, Durham University. He also was for many years a leader of a church in Newcastle, City Church, Newcastle, which with a group of friends he founded and led for over 30 years. That's now a diverse community of hundreds serving the North, East and beyond with this message that we can be not just servants of God, but friends of God. His latest book is Called to be Friends, a sentiment that he believes to be at the heart of John's gospel. So it seems like he so he seems like the ideal person to talk to about the notion that I can be a friend of God. Ian, welcome to Life Issues. Thank you for having me. It's quite a big statement, that isn't it, in the title of your book and we should point out that it's published by our friends at Hodder available online and in good Christian bookshops called to be friends unlocking the heart of John's gospel the idea that God calls us to be his friends that it is the calling of God on everybody's life to be his friend is a big statement is that really the case it most definitely is Paul I mean it's I think it's at the deep in the heart of everyone I mean, the, the Garden of Eden stories paint this idyllic picture of a beautiful space where people meet with God, walk with God, talk with God. I think that longing is in everybody's heart. And, you know, as the, the biblical narrative develops, you've, you've mentioned Abraham. Moses as another person described as God's friend. 
And of course, there's Enoch, isn't there? That very enigmatic figure who walks with God. And he walks so far with God that one day God said to him, look, no point going back. He just, you may as well stay here with me. Um, and I think right at the heart of everybody is a longing to be deeply connected with God, yeah. But there's, I suppose, a distinction to be drawn between connecting with God in terms of being a follower, being a disciple, being a servant. I mean, it was the phrase that Jesus uses in John 15. And there's a difference between that, a distinction between that, and being a friend of God. I mean, is it... The characters you quote from the Bible, I mean, they were you know, powerful people of experience of God and of God's spirit and of serving God and doing great things of God. Is it really an expectation that little me, my ordinary life, that I can be God's friend? At the end of the day, he's eternal. He's all-knowing. He, he lives in a spiritual reality. Where do I even start to be his friend? It's, it is it is mind-blowing, and I think it, it says a lot about who we are as human beings made in the image of God, made like God, made to communicate with God, made, made to know God. And Israel was called into this covenant relationship with God, covenant love, called, called close to God. Um, yes, there's worship. Yes, there was the expectation of obedience. But there was also the expectation of, of belonging, of being a people who are known by God, loved by God, brought close by God. And, of course, it ends in failure and repeated disaster. And, and, and that's where, you know, Jeremiah speaks into it, isn't it, in, in what we now call the new covenant. He says, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, Look, I know my people have failed in their relationship with me, but the day is coming when I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to make our relationship new. I'm going to take away everything that's in the way of our friendship. I'll take away all your sin and forgive everything. Um, there's going to be kind of unconditional commitment from my side. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And obedience is going to come from within, not just trying to live up to something, mm -hmm. but actually God is going to write that into your heart. So you start to live out what God has put in. And then the, the, the final part of that is that everyone will know me, says God, from the least of them to the greatest. From the least of them to the greatest. So little me, yes, absolutely. You're included in this invitation from God to know God to become close to God, to understand more of God, to know that you're known by God and loved by God. It's an extraordinary invitation. But why? I mean, why would God want to be my friend? I mean, I can understand why he would want to be my Lord. I can understand why he would 
want to be my ruler. I can understand why he would want to be my king, so that that my life is is redeemed and it is is brought back from the place of danger that I put myself in because of the way that I was living a life ignoring him. I can understand, you know, the, the power of redemption and the the sacrifice of love on the cross, all of that. But then for God to say he wants to be my friend, I mean, to be honest. Why on earth would someone like God want to be my mate, be my friend? We we do tend to have this very utilitarian view of of one another, don't we? What we can, what we do for one another, what we what we can receive from one another, get out from one another. Actually, what we really want, what we really desire in one another, is love. It's closeness. It's it's that kind of mutuality. And we've got that from God. That's what God is like too. And so John, John's gospel, you know, it begins with this really massive idea that God is a God who makes God known. So, you know, John begins at the beginning. He he, he starts his gospel with, with a by quoting and editing the very first verse in his own Bible. So it's his the first verse in his Bible, the Hebrew Bible, what we now call the Old Testament, is in the beginning God. In the beginning God, and he goes on to the creation story in Genesis 1. John takes that in the beginning, and he adds a bit in. He edits it. He says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's, his, his understanding of Jesus has given him a bigger and better understanding of God. And he's writing Jesus right into the middle of his own Bible. And what he does is he takes what God does in Genesis 1 and he applies it back to God himself. So in Genesis 1, God creates by speaking his words. He says his word and things come into being. John takes that idea and applies it back to God. It says, God speaks God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. God is a God who speaks himself, reveals himself. God speaks God to reveal God. Yeah. It's an extraordinary idea. So right in the very nature of God, is a God who makes God known. And it is, and then, I suppose, in some ways, the, the same as the the idea of God's, God is love, and God's love is shown not because of what we bring to the table or we can contribute, but because it is his nature to love. It is his Absolutely. nature to desire relationship. It is his nature to want to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden and get yeah. to know them and then get to know him. He yearns for that friendship. Yes, absolutely. It's in his very nature. And it's in our nature too. There's something in our nature that loves to be known and to get to know. It's it's kind of deeply human thing, isn't it? To, to know another person, to get inside their story, to get inside their feelings, to, to relate to them, to understand them, to appreciate them. Not, not particularly because of what they can do, you know, but because of who they are. Yeah. And, and that we've got that from God. God is like that. 
your conviction, and I mean, you make it clear even in the title, before you even get beyond the cover of your book and remind people that Ian's book, Ian Galloway is his name, his book is called Called to be Friends, Unlocking the Heart of John's Gospel. This idea that God desires friendship with us, it, it is your conviction that this is at the heart of the Gospel of John. And Absolutely, I would, yes. And, well, I would imagine that that would have been a major step away and when john was writing this that would have been a step away from the norm of expectation or understanding about how people could relate to god because he would have been seen as a god who was you know far, far off what do you think it was about his experience of jesus that prompted john to perhaps more than any of the other gospels run with this emphasis I think it was his friendship with Jesus. I think it was his closeness with Jesus. So, you know, we haven't got time today to unpack all the sort of debates about authorship, but I, um, I'm i with lots of scholars who say that the disciple whom Jesus loved um, is the author. Yeah. The disciple whom Jesus loved. What an, what an extraordinary way to describe yourself. That's pretty much all he gives away about about himself he's the one who leans back on the breast of jesus in the last supper he's at the cross the only male disciple who's at the cross he's given responsibility to care for the jesus mother so he's very 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 close to Jesus. And he knows it was Jesus who loved him. He doesn't describe himself as the disciple who loved Jesus. No, it's the other way around. It's Jesus who took the initiative to love him and draw him in. And the very first thing that Jesus does in the Gospel of John is invite two people around his house for a late lunch and a long chat. And we get to know the name of one of those disciples, Andrew. We never get to know the name of the other. He's an anonymous disciple. And that's a literary device that runs all the way through the gospel and ends with this little description we have, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he's there right at the, his first experience of Jesus is eating together, talking together. The last thing that happens in the gospel of John is a beach barbecue that Jesus arranges for his friends. Yeah. He even arranges for them to catch the fish. And it's, Jesus who builds the barbecues, Jesus who makes the breakfast. And then Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved and Jesus all go off for a, a walk and a very necessary chat. And that's where we we hear of Peter's restoration. It's the only gospel that, that has this story of Peter confessing his love three times for Jesus. And the disciple whom Jesus loved is sort of hanging around in the, in the background. So I think it's his experience of Jesus was one of deep friendship. And then his understanding of Jesus as the as the, the person of God, he had to bring those two ideas together, that actually it was God who was making the barbecue. It was God who made the lentil curry for lunch and whatever they had. And, and they sit, you know, in the shade and talk about the things of God. He was walking with God. He was leaning back against the breast of God. And so I think it's his own direct experience of Jesus that leads him in this direction. Which I suppose is all well and good 
for because he got to sit down and eat that lentil curry. He got to sit down and share that fish barbecue. He got to spend time sitting, looking into the eyes of and hearing with his own ears the voice of Jesus. Their, their connection, their friendship was palpable. They they spent time, along with the other disciples, they spent time on the road together, you know, and which a lot of the time you get the impression was, you know, a mate stay out. And a lot of the journeys that they took together. But... How does that work for me? Because God calls me to be his friend, but he is God. He is a spiritual being. He's not walking the earth with me. I can't exactly go down the pub with him, can I? How does it work for me to be his friend? It's a great question, Paul. You know, it... We are indivisible from our bodies, aren't we? We we make ourselves known in and in and through our our bodies. In in physical philosophical terms, the body is a symbol. You know, a, a, a symbol is different to a sign. A, a fire exit sign points at something else. You don't see people trying to escape through the fire exit sign. They go through the door that the sign's pointing to. A symbol is that which it represents. My body is sort of one with me. It is me. So you think, well, what about us then? How do we how do we become friends with Jesus? Because we don't have Jesus in the body. And it's John's gospel that tackles that head on. There's that whole central teaching where Jesus is preparing his disciples for this massive change that's coming. He's going away, but he's coming back. He's going away in his body through death and then ascension to the Father. But he's coming back. He is coming back. He's coming back by the Spirit. And in chapter 14, Jesus says the same thing again and again and again and again and again. He says, look, if I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. That's verse 16. It says, for you know him. He lives with you. He'll be in you. That's verse 17. He says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's verse 18. And before long, the world won't see me anymore, but you'll see me. And because I live, you will live. That's verse 19. On and on and on he goes. Eight times he says the same thing, that he is going away in his body, but something better is going to occur. He's going to come back by the Spirit. And the conclusion that John's Gospel comes to is this very, very powerful and very radical. It's better for us now that the relationship we can have with Jesus is not less than the disciples when Jesus was in the body, in the flesh. Our relationship can be closer, deeper, more permanent. And that by the Spirit, Jesus is present, real, alive, and communicating. And, of course, that raises another question, which is, okay, I've, it, I, can, I can go with that, 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 that Jesus is here by the Spirit, but how can I get to know him? How mm. can I get to be friends with him? And, of course, the answer is really quite simple, because how do you and I get to know each other? How do you get to know me? How do I get to know you? It's when we tell each other our story. 
for you to get to know me, you need to hear not hundreds, but, you know, maybe 10 really good stories that I'll want to tell you. And if we go down the pub, I'll tell you most of them, if if you're willing to listen. And as you hear those stories, in your mind and in your imagination, you begin to build up a picture of me. I become real to you. Mm-hmm. That goes beyond me sitting there in my body. You're beginning to see past that into the real heart of me. And I think it's exactly the same with Jesus. He's present and real and alive and communicating by the Spirit. And John has has created a space, a beautiful space in the gospel where the stories can come out and come alive. And as you engage with them, and I've seen this happen many times with people, I've led people to friendship with Christ by this means, as you dive into the gospel those, and you, you engage with the stories like you would if you went down the pub and you listened to me, you engage with the stories it's that combination of the word of God and the story of Jesus and the presence of the spirit makes it possible for you to have a, a real friendship, a mutual friendship, a knowing of Jesus. So is it in some ways a, a changing of our mindset? Because we often think in terms, and I've expressed it in our conversation today, think in terms of, you know, why would God want to be a friend to me? Yes, I understand why he wants to be my king, but why would he want to be my friend? Why would God want to actually develop a friendship with me? I'm not important enough. We, we view ourselves in this sort of separated way. If we change our mindset to see that actually, not only is it his desire, but he has through these stories and through the Spirit, made the the door open, made the opportunity for us to spend time with him, to get to know him, to to find the the real him behind the perhaps perception that we have put on ourselves. Is is it a case of we do that and it, it just all falls into place because he's so ready to make it happen? Absolutely, yes, without question. God is a God who is calling every human, I believe, to know God, who desires intimacy and friendship and depth of love and acquaintance and everything that goes with that. He desires that with all of humanity. And I don't think he sees us, you know, as being less or being small or insignificant. I think... It's quite the opposite. He he values perhaps the people we would tend to not value so much in human terms. Yes, yes. Because we're measuring them by our sort of standards of yeah. achievement or ability or whatever. I think God values those people, loves those people, affirms those people, desires friendship with those people. What does it do to the dynamic of my relationship with him, though? Because there's a sense in which we... We are inclined to take our friends for granted. There is a sense in which we're inclined to be a little bit glib in our relationship with our friends. I mean, I suppose in some ways the very definition of friendship is that people that we are confident of enough that we can actually be a bit sort of um, lighthearted and a bit glib and a bit bantery and a bit, bit familiar and a bit just expect them to always be there. But he's God. And I don't get a sense that 
you know, friendship with God is about sort of matey God that I can be glib and, and blasé about. Yeah, no, it's a really good point, Paul. I think you know, there's two things going on there. There's being friends with God, and that, that of course, that has to impact on the nature of the friendship. And then there's the problem of taking our friends for granted and being a bit sort of familiar and glib. I think the first thing, you know, God invites me to be God's friend. The way I, the way I sort of think about that is, you know, what's it like to be my friend? You know, for for thirty three years, I was a pastor of a church, and being a pastor of a church has demands placed upon you. There were times when I thought to myself, I'm actually quite a bad friend <laughs> because um, I'm busy. Um, I've got lots of, you know, pressure. Uh, when I when I want to relax, I, there are lots of topics I don't actually want to talk about because I want to not talk about them for now. Um, I can't. I have so many people to, to be in touch with. I'm bad at remembering details like your birthday. You know, I didn't think of myself as a very good friend. And people wanted to be my friend. And I, I used to try and caution them and say, you're going to have to take me as I am. You know, I'll do my best. But you're going to have to, if, if you're going to be a real friend of me, you're going to have to live with who I am and get to know who I am. You can't make me somebody I'm not. It's exactly the same with God. God doesn't stop being God when he becomes your friend. You're actually a friend of God. So you have to accept that you're becoming friends with a divine being of eternal existence, incredible wisdom, knowledge, skill, um, holiness. I mean, goodness me, that's really something. It doesn't mean I can't be your friend. It just means I need to be your, truly your friend and, and understand that that's what's going on that God is God. And I, I think what helps that is that God never conforms to our, you know, our little expectations of matiness. He's always jumping out of that box. And Jesus was exactly the same. You know, that's why John's gospel is so interesting. Jesus says and does things which the disciples just don't understand. They're scratching their heads. They're, it takes them a long time to work it out. And because he's Jesus, he's not just one of their mates in that, you know, and in that sense. And I think that's something beautiful about that. If you want to know anybody well, you have to accept who they are and take them on their own terms. It's exactly the same with God. And that gives lots of surprises, actually. People surprise, you know, I'm, I'm still surprised by people I, I've known well for a long time. And there's there's some there's great joy in that and great beauty in that, and I think God's like that, you know, on steroids. So I think that's one thing. God doesn't stop being God. He doesn't stop being Lord. Doesn't stop being Savior. But I'm invited into this place where I'm close to Him and I know Him and I, I feel His tenderness and His and His love and His acceptance and His affirmation of me. On the familiarity side, I think that is a problem. And it's a problem we need to address, not just with God, but with each other. And, you know, that's something I need to repent of. It's something I need to mm. stop doing. Um, you know, if I'm going to grow my marriage friendship, 
I need to stop being familiar and taking my wife for granted. You know, and but she's quite good at reminding me about that. And I think God <laughs> God God is pretty good at that as well. Yes. So I think it's I think I'm okay. I think it's unlikely to happen as long as I'm keep in mind the fullness of who God is in my friendship. I don't just narrow down to matiness or familiarity. Mm. And maybe it is that experience of the fullness of who he is and who we are in that relationship of friendship. Maybe if we had a better understanding and experience of that, that would actually frame better the way that we relate to and behave towards and the example of friendship we are shown that we can then show to our friends. I wonder if we could cycle back to your premise, though, that the Gospel of John shows this desire of friendship. Because in your book, you make it clear again and again and again, the things that Jesus does, the people that he meets with, the connections that he makes, that it actually shows that in him there is this desire for more than acquaintance, more than leader and follower, more than teacher and disciple. And again and again and again, you say, he, he shows us this desire of God to, that wants to be a friend to ordinary people. I wonder if you could maybe pick out just one or two examples of stories in John's Gospel that show us this impetus, this urge that is within the heart of Jesus. There, there are several, and I think John's chosen them very, very carefully in order to communicate this. The woman at the well is probably a great, the, probably one of the best, isn't it? So there's somebody who, in human terms, should have kept very, very separate from Jesus. So there's Jesus sitting all by himself, either next to the well or maybe even on the well, right in the middle of the day, very, very hot. And a woman comes by herself to collect water. Now, women don't do that normally. They normally come as a group. They help one another. It's a social time, a gossip sort of time. And also, uh, it's cooler when they when they come. So this is a woman who's alone, maybe rejected, outcast, uh, coming at an unusual time by herself. When she approaches the well, Jesus should have got up, walked 20 metres away and turned his back on her. That was the social convention. That, now, that's what everyone did. And there's a there's something in us that sort of gets a little bit disturbed and maybe even a little angry at that kind of behaviour. You think, well, that's very demeaning. But actually behind it was something quite good as well, which was keeping women safe in public places, which is a massive deal in our society. And that this convention was there so that women could go to public places and not feel threatened mm. by, you know, dangerous men. But Jesus doesn't do it. He speaks to her. And and this is an extraordinary thing. And he speaks in a really empowering way. He, he asks her to do something that that was that she could do for him. Uh, you know, can, can you give me a drink? You know, I'm thirsty. And... Um, She's shocked by this, partly because he's a man, but partly because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. And they, you know, you've got to think the, the war in Syria or uh, some of the other conflicts in the Middle East. Th these were two people who were very unfriendly 
towards each other and, and jesus steps right over the social and cultural barriers like in one sentence boom and that's got us off to a great start hasn't it and um that as that conversation develops we see a number of things we see we see jesus giving her dignity and respect extraordinary thing to do in their culture amazing beautiful empowering and she gets bolder and bolder and you see him talking to her completely at her level he's not trying to bamboozle her or impress her or or point out his credentials to her right at the very end of the story he does admit who he is but it takes quite a long time to get there and as she warms up he begins to do something really really extraordinary two things in particular one is he shows her that he knows her they get to a point in the conversation and he says look i think you should i think you should go and get your husband and come back and we could kind of carry this on it'd be better if if we were all together if you were with with your husband and and, and um she says I, ha I haven't got a husband and, and he says you're you're right fact is you you know you've had five husbands and the, the man you're with now is not your husband you've told the truth there now how did he know that we don't really know we never get we never get to find out is he very intuitive you know kind of got a gift there is it something god has spoken to him has he been very careful in the way he's observed her pastorally i we just don't know maybe all three anyway what then happens is that she goes away and invites the whole village mm. <laughs> she just just doesn't go and invite one bloke she invites the whole village and she what she says to them is come and meet the man who's told me everything i've ever done now that is an amazing thing for her to say because she is a woman who's suffered repeated rejection and failure in committed relationships she must have been in great pain and shame which is probably why she came by herself to the well at the wrong time and and that hasn't disappeared she, that's not being denied but that bit that past on all the pain of that past is being reframed and she's no longer ashamed she's going to the village and saying come and meet the man who told me everything i've ever done that is an amazing thing to have achieved in a short space of time yeah. and when people suffer pain and rejection and grief and damage in relationships they often find it very 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 difficult to recover and don't like talking about it and it takes a lot of psychological help to get people through those kind of experiences where they can reframe the past and reframe the story in such a way that they can admit it and it's real and it's true but it's not controlling them emotionally it's not shaping how they see themselves jesus seems to manage that in a couple of hours amazing friendship thing to do and the other thing he does before she goes away is he he gives her some teaching about worship she's rather perturbed when he comes out with this kind of knowing thing 
and she tries to kind of change the topic onto something a bit safer. You know, she tries to start saying, well, you Jews worship this way, we Samaritans worship this way, who's right? You know, she just wants to kind of have a non-personal mm. kind of religious politics discussion. And Jesus gives her an answer, which is amazing, because it's the deepest teaching you'll see in the New Testament about the nature of, of worship. <laughs> And you think, Jesus is giving this teaching to a woman whose name we never get to know, who hasn't yet decided who Jesus really is, who has a very unfortunate and painful and difficult past. And there he is giving the, something from deep in his heart to her, very trusting, very affirming very beautiful and those are the kind of conversations we love isn't it when we love to get to know people well enough that we can talk at that level yeah and jesus gets there from the off really i mean it's just extraordinary and that kind of pattern is repeated all the way through the gospel and that moment really does transform her experience so where does that leave us today yeah, acknowledging the the fact that we can't have the same physicality of friendship with Jesus, but actually John says what we can have by the Holy Spirit is a better friendship with God, a, a deeper experience of God, and that the writings are there to help us see that. What difference does it make to Joe Christian living their life in 21st century Britain worrying about the cost of living crisis, worrying about energy bills, worrying about social media and the impact it's having on our children, worrying about the, what the future is going to bring and how things are going to pan out and what's the state of the church and faith going to be in this country in 30, 40 years' time and all those sort of pressures that set in on around us as we try to be good disciples of Jesus. What difference does it make if we reset our perspective to see that he doesn't just call us disciples or servants. He wants to call us friends and we can be a friend of God. Yeah, I mean, all, all of those things affect me. All of those things I'm, I'm worrying about too. I know exactly what, what that's that's like. But what, what, I, what I try and do is kind of relive the stories that I've been studying, you know, for decades in John, I I put myself in in the place of the Samaritan woman. I put myself in the place of the disciple and Jesus loved. I I see Jesus relating to me in those terms. I receive uh, the knowledge that He knows me. He knows all about my little crises, my my pains, the pressures of my life. The, the pains of my past and that he's that reality that, that of, of Jesus knowing me I find does transform my perspective of them that I'm not grappling with those alone I'm not looking at them alone I'm not trapped inside them I've got Jesus with me I, I can lean back against him and then look out at the things and deal with the things that I have to deal with. 
and it's like bringing Jesus in it doesn't it doesn't remove them they're not they're not gone they're still there but it totally changes my inner life it totally changes the way I am inside my own head and I think that's what good friendship does all the time it's an it's an it's a companionship it's a being with being in it with you um and the 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 reality of that has probably a bigger effect than we realize i think actually as we kind of coming out of the all the lockdowns and the pandemic start i think we have we have seen that you know by being isolated for a short period we've realized how important being together is mm. and so i i i go through my day and my life with that kind of perspective now i'm at, i'm at the well with jesus you know i'm i'm going back into my village with jesus I, i'm sitting at this meal with jesus i'm going on this walk with jesus now I'm not I'm not expecting him to sort of have a continuous stream of conscious conversation to me. It's more the more than knowing that I'm known and knowing that he's present and knowing that he cares that makes such a big difference to me. Um, and I try and approach all my other responsibilities and all my other relationships from that place. And when he said to his disciples in John, yeah, a servant doesn't know, but I have told you. What does that mean for us as his friends today? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, it, it means that we can be brought into knowing what Jesus is up to. <laughs> and I think that's another part of my outlook that, I, that I, I try and sort of build in that actually jesus is up to something right now with the people i'm connecting to or the, the you know the, the the issues i'm dealing with jesus is is connecting to them too jesus is from his perspective as ascended to the right hand of the father is involved too and he's about stuff and and what i need to do is not so much sort of take them all on myself but try and find out what he's doing try and hear from him and join in with what he's doing and again i find that really really helpful um and sometimes you have to take a, a step of faith in that you have to think well i think this is what jesus is doing and kind of step into it but uh, often it's clear what jesus is doing and you 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 get this it, it's it's less of a burden, isn't it? If you know, well, God's up to this, I'll join in a bit. I'll add my little bit to it, but I'm not taking it all on myself. Mm, mm. What do you think about your relationship with God? I think like the disciples that day when Jesus spoke to them in John 15, most of us think of ourselves as followers of Jesus. We maybe think of ourselves as disciples of Jesus. We think of ourselves as called to serve him, as called to work for him, to be his hands and his feet, and all those other images that have knocked around the church for far longer than I've knocked around the church. 
But it's always an element of, even when we talk about the closeness of his love for us and the depth of his love for us, there's always a, a little bit of a distance, isn't there? When in fact, what God says, what Jesus said is, I desire, I yearn, I long for you to be my friend. I call you to be my friend. I choose to make you my friend. That our relationship might be intimate, that our understanding of each other might be complete, that we might journey through life together and that the fullness of my knowledge might shape and frame your understanding of the life that you live. It is not enough for us to see ourselves simply as followers. Because if the Gospel of John makes anything clear, it is that God gave himself that we might be his friends. Ian's book is called Called to be Friends, Unlocking the Heart of John's Gospel, written by Ian Galloway and published by our friends at Hodder. It has been fascinating to explore this with you today. Ian, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you to my producer for this week's Life Issues as well, Rachel Gillies. I'm Paul Hammond. Life Issues is, of course, a UCB production. Why not join me next week for another one? Ta-da! <laughs>